Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How are we? We good? Glad you guys are here uh, today. Hey, if you're a guest with us, man, thanks for being here. I see a lot of new people today. I'm mean, just honored that you're here uh, today. Praying God would, uh, man, just do something special for you. Praying that God would really move in this place. But it's been a good day thus far. And so let me tell you about a couple things before we get into the word today that I want to make sure you know about. So one, Alpha, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a Sunday night class we've been teaching here at the church. Uh, there's been 60 to 80 people each week coming. But listen, uh, you're not, it's not too late. Like you can totally come tonight. And tonight actually is labeled Holy Spirit Night, where we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit. It's going to feel actually more like Thrive. Uh, we're going to have Rose tonight. We'll eat as they come in. You'll grab a sandwich and grab a seat. Uh, and we're going to watch a couple teachings on the Holy Spirit. I will then speak a little on the Holy Spirit myself uh, for our uh, church and then uh, we're Worship will be tonight also. So really, it's it's a great time uh, to come be a part of that. So in the Trinity, man, like the Holy Spirit's like the weird one no one talks about, we're going to talk about tonight. And so I uh, want to invite you to come be a part of that tonight. Also, Thanksgiving brunch. Uh, something we do in our church, we've done since the beginning of our church, where Thanksgiving morning at 9.30 right here, we'll have tables set up here, long tables, family style, and we just do a brunch. And so 9.30, it says 9.30, but we're out of here by 10.30, 11 o'clock, and you can go on with the rest of your day. A couple reasons. One, I do. Man, we say we're family, and so I want to make sure we really uh, show people that we truly are. It's not just on a logo. Like, we really are family, so we do these kind of events, number one. Uh, but two, man, there's people that need someone to, to be with. But also, uh, man, I just want it to be the, the least stressful meal you have all day long because I know stress is coming. Uh, for some of you, some of y'all that, how many of you guys hosting Thanksgiving at your house? Oh, Lord, pray for them right now. Like, you're stressed right now. Grandma's not going to like your turkey. Like, it's going to be too dry. Like, she's going to gripe. Something's going to happen. But, but holidays are right around the corner. Would you say you're ready for it? Are you ready? You're excited for that? How many would you say you have somebody in your family? Do not point fingers. Somebody in your family they're just difficult. Like they're just hard to handle. Like they're Uncle Bob, right? They're just hard to handle. Uh, how many of you guys would say that? If they're not here, don't worry. They're not here. Yep, yep. A few of you do. How many would say this? Actually, no, Pastor. Uh, our family actually is, is pretty good. Pretty, pretty normal? Pretty normal families? Yeah, uh-oh. Uh, cliffhanger here. That could be you. You could be the crazy one. <laughs> if you don't know who they are, it could be you. I don't know if it is, uh, but... So next week when we come in here, we're actually going to talk. It's Orphan Sunday, and so we're going to take a quick break from this Uncle Bob series. But for today and the next month, we're going to talk about how do you handle difficult people because they're all around us. So how do you handle those? And so today I want to start by talking a little bit about offense, taking offense. Uh, and I will really attempt to hit that from both angles. I don't know about for you, but I love it when people say this, no offense, but... Like, I already, okay, I'm about to be offended. Like, I already know what you're going to say. I'm already about to, or maybe worse here in the South, we say, bless your heart. Bless your heart. And then here comes something offensive. Follow that up. Here's some real ones. We polled our entire staff. Since being on staff, this isn't when they were a kid. Since being on staff, this is some of the things that some of our staff members have heard. I don't mean here. I mean here and Norman everywhere, actually, all of our campuses. No offense, but I actually hated you before I got to know you. <laughs> Next one was no offense, but could you not have kids of your own? It's a true story. Or, or this one, no offense, you're really pretty for a black girl. True story, true story. No offense, 
you prayed a really good prayer for being so young. That's just old people pray good prayers, whatever. No offense, I don't, you don't look like you're old enough to even be married, but they were, no offense. This is my favorite one. Uh, I'll just say, it's not even at this church. It happened to me a lot when I was uh, at other churches. Uh, you're a way better preacher than you used to be. You're a way... <laughs> Compliment, offense, I, I can't tell what to do in this. I, I don't know. And so, now with that being said, all these funny comments, with that being said, I do think that we're living in a society, in a culture right now, that it's easier to be offended than ever in the history of the world. So in fact, let's look in. Let's look in on Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob, you look great. How are things? What's that supposed to mean? Did I look horrible at one point? I mean, am I fat or something? No, Uncle Bob, that's not what I meant. Oh, hey, Uncle Bob. You know, I've been meaning to ask you, who'd you vote for in the election this year? Mike. Hasn't your mom taught you not to talk about politics at Thanksgiving? Gee! Bless, Bless you, bud. You. Thank you. Oh, great. Little Corona just infected the whole house. Achoo! Hello? Is anyone going to bless me? I mean, what did I do not to be blessed? Oh, oh Bob. Bob. We'll be checking in with Uncle Bob every single week. But why is it, right? So why is it that people are so easily offended? Well, I think one of the reasons is because offendedness is just about the last shared moral currency that we have in our country. We don't discuss things anymore. We don't debate. We don't debate arguments. We try to figure out who's most offended. And so why is everyone so in a hurry? Like, why is everybody in a hurry to be hurt? Well, for starters, I think being hurt is much easier than being right. To prove you're offended, you just have to tell people. You just have to post that I'm offended and people know that you're offended. But to prove you're actually right, you have to do a little work. You have to make arguments. You have to use logic. You have to use evidence. But why debate theology? Why debate politics when you can just win over your audience by convincing everyone else the meanies are on me? Right? How, how, why, why go through all that effort when it's really easy to show you're offended? Because nobody wants to look like a jerk, right? Like nobody wants to be that guy. And it's rarely asked whether such an offense is warranted or it's not at all. No, if there's an offense, there's an offender, and offenders seem to be always wrong. So we demand apologies. Sometimes, no doubt, because a genuine sin has been committed. Don't hear me wrong there. Sometimes an offense, it did take place. An apology should happen. But often, we just demand apologies just because we can it's a way to shame those who actually disagree with us. It forces them to admit failure or keep looking like a weasel. You see, we live in an emotional, fragile world, and we want everyone to know when we're wounded. 
which really is too bad. Because there are people who are genuine victims. They're profoundly, they are egregiously wronged. And they don't deserve to be lumped in with those of us who just got picked last in dodgeball. Right? There's some actual offense that happens that actually wounds people that they don't deserve to be lumped in just because we didn't make the kids program, no matter what that is, right? As Christians, listen to me, we serve and worship a victimized Lord. We should expect. We should expect to suffer. We should actually have compassion on those who hurt us. But we do not resemble a suffering savior when we take on the offense just so we can show our suffering. We don't look like Jesus when we just take on an offense for the sole purpose of showing people that we're suffering. Don't get me wrong. Again, when a law is broken, when a right has actually been taken away, man, let's protest. Let's protest with passion. Let's go after that with everything we have. I just think looking at the church, I think we've got some work to do in this area. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 37 in the story of Joseph this morning. And so some of you know that story, and it's a long story. And so I'm just going to kind of try to give you just the Cliff Notes version of that story with just some facts here. And make sure you go back and read Genesis chapter 37. But Joseph was the second youngest of Jacob's 12 sons. But when Joseph was 17 years old, he had two different dreams that did not go well. So the first dream, and he, and he shares with his family, is a dream of this, that Joseph and his brothers gathered these bundles of grains. It's a dream of those that his brothers gathered were bowed down to his. It's a tough dream to share. And the second dream that he has is kind of representative of the sun, who would be his father, the moon was his mother, and the 11 stars, equaling who his brothers are, bowed down to Joseph himself. So these dreams, though they were from the Lord, they're imp implying his supremacy, it made his brothers mad, like it angered his brothers. We learn later that, that the father, his father loved him more than any of the others and gave him that coat, remember that coat of many colors we talk about? So he gave him this sweet coat, and so that offends and, and bothers the brothers. And so at this time, he's taken off into Egypt by his brothers, eventually became a, a steward of Potiphar. They sold him into slavery first. So now he's a slave, innocently, didn't really do anything wrong, but his brothers turned him over, sold him into slavery, and again, becomes to, to Egypt and eventually becomes a steward for, for Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar's one of Pharaoh's officials. And then later you'll read that, that Potiphar's wife tried to unsuccessfully seduce him and, and bring all these false accusations against him. Well, just because they were accusations, they threw him into prison. But once he's in prison, due to his ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he then was made actually the governor of Egypt. He wisely kind of rationed the country's uh, food source when famine hit the country. Now, during this time, everyone was short of food. And so we have now Joseph's family, his brothers come looking for food, but they don't recognize Joseph. And after all they had put him through, Joseph invites his father and brothers to come and settle in here in Egypt. You see, Joseph could have lived in his offense. He could have. He, he, could have, he could have been bitter, but as a slave, he served well. He gets falsely accused. And it's not, it's not just to call you one thing, but then he gets, to put, he gets put in prison because of the accusation. Then he gets out of prison, comes second command, and then famine comes. And now who needs some food? His brothers. His brothers need some food. What does he do? He helps them. Why? Why? Why would he help them? Well, he understands. Offense only has potential 
it does not have any power. It only has potential. And so what I want to do today is, is talk to us about what I would say are three potential downfalls of offense. And we, as believers in Christ, need to guard ourselves about offense. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Offense has the potential to destroy our future. It, it can weigh us down. You look at Joseph, you read that story. Joseph never allowed his offense to destroy his call. He had a dream from heaven that he was abused by his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, even served some prison time. Don't you know he had opportunity after opportunity after to grab hold of offense? But instead, he clung to the dream that God gave him. He never allowed his heart to get bitter. Here's the truth. Some of us in this room, some of you in this room, God has given you a dream. He's put something in your heart, but somebody offended you, abused, falsely accused you, someone close to you even sold you out. Listen to me. Offense is potential, but only you can give it power. Only you can turn an offense into being offended. Offenses, they're guaranteed. Being offended, though, is a choice that we make. An offense is an event. Being offended is a decision. Here's the problem. Because we all face this. Here's the problem. When offense goes unchecked, like when I get offended, if it goes unchecked, it turns quickly into bitterness. Bitterness that can quickly erode your soul. You see, nobody would have blamed Joseph. Like none of us. We would not have blamed Joseph for being a victim because he was a victim. Like he had every reason and every right to be offended. None of us would have blamed Joseph for being offended, but he never allows that offense to grab a hold of his heart. Luke chapter 17, it says this, then, his, then he said to the disciples, this is Jesus talking, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Like they're coming. Like we will, I will be offended. You will be offended. It's going to come. Jesus tells us it's coming. But woe to him through whom they do come. So it's coming for you. I pray, I don't offend you, but it's coming for you. And so he says, woe to you that the offense is coming. I know it's coming to me. Like I, I read the scripture, I know offense is coming. Jesus says, woe to me. I, I, need, to, I need to take heart. I need to listen, I need to think through this before I grab a hold of that offense. You guys remember I told you several months back, it was several years back that in the house we had, we got some squirrels that got in our attic. And those dudes woke us up every single morning. Like they were running amok in our, in our, in our attic, just running crazy in this. They were, they were taking over house. Like I feel like they literally had this, I'm the house owner, but they, they like, I feel like they own my house. Like they're running around in my attic. They had tons of freedom until I baited them with this sweet peanut butter sandwich in a live trap. I guess squirrels like PB and James. I don't know. But like, like I had this live trap in my attic. I thought, how am I going to get them? I put a peanut butter sandwich in there and I caught them. Once I had that squirrel, or then squirrels, I caught many, in a trap, they had no options. Like, I could do literally whatever I wanted to with them. I don't mean gruesome here, but I could have killed it. I could have dropped it off somewhere. Like, he had no more options. Once I trapped him, once I baited him into this trap, I could do whatever I want. I'm not saying that we're squirrels here. I'm just saying, even that squirrel had a choice. That squirrel had to go in there. That squirrel made a choice to fall into this. Once he took the bait, he had no control. Offense is dangled in front of us every single day. And if the enemy can get you to bite, he, has, he can gain power and control over you with the power of offense. And offenses, man, they can destroy our future. 
And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You were offended at a young age, and literally, like, you feel like your future just stopped. Like, you feel like you're just stuck. Because offense has some real power. If you bite, if you bite on that, it can literally destroy your future. But not only that, number two, write this down. Offense has the potential to destroy our influence. Because Joseph was not offended, he gained influence. He gained influence, not as king, not with his wealth, not for his position or title. He actually gained influence as a slave, as a prisoner. Genesis 41 says this, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Look at the influence he's getting. Only as you regard the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all of the land in Egypt. And if you'll read this story, you'll watch Joseph. He is so meticulous. He's so careful in which the way he talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's doing a lot of things very wrong, very wrong. But he's so careful in the way he talks because he didn't want to offend him for later to lose his influence. Why? Proverbs 18, 19 says this. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. They don't give up. Once you're offended, you don't give up. It's so hard. Even me, man, I mean, I, I hate this about myself. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm offended, it's so hard to go back. I mean, I can forgive people, but it's just like I look at you a little different. My, I think it was in my, in my DNA, actually. My, my dad was a, my, a father that, man, incredible father, but if you wronged him, he was done with you. He didn't talk about you, anything else, but you're off. He writes you off. And so I'm nervous sometimes. Man, that, gets in, that got inside me a little bit. And so I've got to fight that constantly in my own life. But, but he knew he, he didn't want to do this because it's unyielding. It's unyielding. So again, what I'm saying currently is I do think it's part of our job, part of my job as Christians to take guard against taking offense and then allowing offense to actually take root in our life. But I think there's a warning here for the other side. So Proverbs just said, once offended, it's powerful. It's powerful. So we must also pay close attention, I think, to offending other people. Because offending someone is literally like building a fence. Offending someone is literally like building a fence. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So we do this. We've watched it play out. This week, we watch it play out all the time. So we say, make these outlandish statements that maybe we say, if you voted different than I did, you can't be a Christian. And listen, we can think through this and think, well, the values of somebody, that's what the Bible says. But again, I'm just saying, factual or not, I'm just saying we've put up one bar of this. Or, or then we say this, and I felt this. If you don't wear a mask, you don't care about people. You heard a lot of people say that. So I'd be out in the public, and there's sometimes, I'll be honest, I don't wear a mask everywhere I go. And so little I read that, I think, oh, what are you talking about? Dude, I'm a pastor, I do care about people. Get off me, I do care about people. So immediately I'm just like, what are you talking I put this guard up. Or maybe it's the opposite. If you wear a mask, you have no faith in God. You have no faith. You're not trusting him. You're only trusting a piece of paper and material on your face. You don't trust God. And so we make these kind of outlandish things. Or, or we say this. If black people would just, whatever. If they would just do what they're supposed to do, this would happen. Or it's just the same way the other way. If white people would just do this. 
If they would just do this, everything would be fine. If poor people get a job, they just do this. Like everything would be just fine. If you just work, it'd be fine. If rich people, come on, if rich people just share a little bit, and before you know it, we make these outlandish statements and we find ourselves behind a wall that we've built up between the people we actually want to talk to. I'm just saying it's pretty difficult to share the gospel back here with the people who need the gospel. You can sit at home and watch TBN all day, but you're not sharing the gospel with anybody. That's a problem. That's a problem that we find ourselves back here. And I said this several months ago about something else, but it's true. I hate this about our country. I hate this about our society, our culture. People are not forgiving. They're just not. We as believers, we have to be, but the world is not. And so I say this, you are called, I am called to be an ambassador of Christ. But I'm telling you, you build this wall, you're not playing anymore. You know, you pray at home, you're praying for people, you're not participating. You're no longer participating in sharing the gospel with the people who need the gospel because you're hiding behind the wall that you personally have built. And I've done this in my life where I've, I've put up all these things. Man, I no longer have influence in certain people's lives. And it's egregious to the Father. We build this wall. We no longer have an ability to share the gospel with anyone. I just think I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid Christians are building bigger fences than they are bigger tables. I'm just afraid that I'm, sometimes I build a bigger fence than I do a bigger table. Let me say it like this. If you're eating breakfast with a Muslim who needs Jesus, yes, they all do, probably don't order bacon. And look, I know, I know you can come hard and say, but pastor, I'm free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm free, pastor. You're, you're hindered. You get to eat what you want, the scriptures say. No, no, I think that's me being a jerk and caring more about a breakfast meat than I do about the Muslim who needs Jesus. That's what I think. I care more about that. So I just think in this situation, I just think if, if I just me would just put down the bacon for one meal, like, wouldn't I gain some influence? And then I could have a conversation about Jesus. And I know I lost a lot of you guys because I talked about stop eating bacon. I looked, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I would vote. I would raise my hand to vote for bacon be the national side item for every meal. Like, I'm in. I'm in. I just love telling people about Jesus more. I just love telling people about Jesus more. Why? Bacon is not a gospel issue for me. Not eating bacon in front of my Muslim friend hinders my worship zero. Zero. I'm just saying, I want to gain influence in the areas that actually matter. And before you call me a sellout, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Pastor, ain't strong enough. Well, let's just read the text. Verse 19 says, for though I am free from all, the apostle Paul has been set free. He is free indeed. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became that of a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those that are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those that are outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak. Nobody has ever criticized Paul being weak. Unbelievably strong. But he became weak. That I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. 
Like, it's part of which that text just said we save them all. Like, I just wish that text just said, I'm going to do all this and make all these sacrifices and push my freedoms aside that I can win every one of them. Because everyone's down for that. Like, you, you're, I don't know if you're a believer if you're not down for that. But you wouldn't set aside some religious freedoms you have to save the whole world. But darn it, he said, we're just going to save some. Just some. Like, he loves people that much that he's willing to sacrifice all these things in his life just to save some. I do not forsake the gospel that I may share with him in its blessings. I want to lead people to Jesus. That's really all I want. And I'm just telling you, you can't lead people to Jesus that you offend. You have to ask yourself, before I say this, before maybe I post this, and listen, here's, the, here's what's tricky, right? So there's a lot of things I could say that are actually factual. Like it's not lies, it's not, but it may be offensive, but it's, but it's, but it's true. It's, there's data to back up maybe what I'm saying. I just think I have to think through what I want to do with my influence moving forward. I love memes, and this meme city right now. Like, I just love them. They crack me up. I just, there's so many, and people are, I'm not. There are people that are so creative with what they're saying with memes. So I have a good friend of mine. He leans way different than I do, politically. He is very anti-gun. He, he hates them. My friend Alex, he's one of my best friends. Very anti-gun. And it's not like, I'm not packing right now. It's a microphone right here. But like, <laughs> I'm the other side, probably. But every meme I get, pro-gun, I fire his way every time. Y'all got any good ones? Send them to me. I'm going to send them to my friend. Like, I light them up all the time. Just the other day, no kidding, in the car, uh, we're sitting in the car while my son is in the orthodontist, and I'm typing fast, going crazy. I'm getting fired up. And Julie goes, are you fighting? I said, a little bit. But it's, but it's with my, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. And so we're, we're, we're going back and forth, this and this and this, and we're going through all this stuff and, and what people believe and how they should vote and all this stuff. But again, listen to me. He's one of my best friends. Like, we're still going to be best friends. Like, literally, at the end of it, I said, bro, think about this. We're categorizing ourselves and stuff. The world will categorize you and me in such a way, they would say, you hate babies, and I hate black people. And I said, guess what, brother? Our lives say the exact opposite. I did my best to avoid babies, right? I mean, I adopted two two (laughs) two-year-olds. Like, it's just the opposite of what the world would say about our relationship. (laughs) We're fighting over this. But again... We're friends. We're close friends. I would never, there's things I send him I would never want you to see. Because you'd think, are you serious, Pastor? No, I'm just joking. I'm fun as a friend. I would never post half the things that I send to my my, my friend Alex. And they're not immoral. Don't think that. I mean, literally, just things that would would be offensive if I threw out on for all of you guys uh, to see. I I just think it's not worth losing influence over. Guns are not the gospel issue. It's not a gospel issue. Understand me. Don't hear me swing too far. Because there are things about the gospel that are offensive. Anytime that I'm going to tell someone to live in such a way that the Bible says, that's offensive. And I'm down for that. If it has to do with the gospel, it may be offensive. It may land heavy. But that's gospel stuff. Jesus offended people all of the time. But it was gospel stuff. It was gospel stuff. All right, last one, number three. Offense has the potential to destroy our relationships. As soon as his brothers were offended, they allowed the offense to destroy their relationships. Listen, I just really want to do my best to bring people together, to unite people for one singular purpose, to love Jesus and his people. My goal is to be laser focused, and I think my job is to help you be. You know what's weird about that? Almost always, the greater the relationship, 
the greater the opportunity for offense. So listen, some, some of us in here, some of you won't speak to a sibling because they offended you 10 or 15 years ago. And I don't know why that is, but it's just, it just kind of seems to be true. But if a stranger said the same thing to you, it wouldn't have bothered you at all. The more you love someone, the more that you've given them your heart, the more offense, it just cuts deeper. It just cuts deeper. So Joseph's brothers, at the end of the day, were offended because dad gave little Joe a sweet jacket. But they're close. They're brothers. So the offense cut deep. But understand, offense is always accompanied by a choice. Once it's there, because it's real. People actually offend people. And so I don't want us to say that I'm just saying everyone's a bunch of babies and they shouldn't ever be offended. Sometimes the offense is real. I'm just saying once it's came my way, you have two choices. You can turn a past tense, you can be offended, or you can forgive them. And then it it falls on us. So I, I don't even know that's fair. But once you say something to me that truly is offensive, I don't necessarily want the ball in my court, but now it is. Now you have a choice. I'm either going to be offended or forgiven. And Thanksgiving's coming. Like some of us are gonna face people at the family dinner table that offended us years ago. And you're still trying to sneak that wishbone in their turkey. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to figure it out. (laughs) What relationship do you have that needs to be repaired? How could you maybe not make Thanksgiving awkward (laughs) to have that conversation now? What relationship needs work in your life? Let me close with these two, two steps that I think help us overcome offense. Number one, forgive them. Just forgive them. The reality is this isn't really about you. Or about them, excuse me. It is about you. Because there are many people that have offended you or offended me. I've got people in my life that offended me. They have no idea. They have no idea. So it's me that's suffering, not them. So it's really about you. Unforgiveness, I'm telling you, is a, is a prison of bitterness, anger, sorrow, sadness. But forgiveness is the key to many of us actually walking in freedom. I don't know if I told you guys this before, but my, uh, when my grandfather died years back, my dad and grandfather, they just couldn't have had a better relationship. They did business together. They farmed together. They raised horses, cows together. They couldn't have had a better It's not possible. I'm telling you, they drove trucks together. They, we lived a quarter mile from my grandfather. And we were up there all the time. Well, it felt like a soap opera in my own family, but when my grandma died, things just got wonky. My, my, my grandpa met another lady, which was fine. It just was weird for me at 77 years old. It was just goofy to me. And, and before you know it, man, my, my grandpa does some things, sells this farm. And, and literally the last three years of my grandfather's life, my dad didn't speak to him. And that ain't right. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if I were to offend who, who got offended, my dad did. My dad did nothing wrong. Busted his tail day and night over and over, kept the whole thing together. Unfortunately, for a long time, my dad chose to be offended. And he, he deserved to be offended. I had every right to be offended what he did to him. But as a, as, a, as, a, as a son and a grandson, it just was so heartbreaking. I felt so like, I'm the pastor. I felt like I was such in the middle. It felt so, I hated it. It was so heavy. When you can make a choice to forgive, even though they don't deserve it, lest you forget you don't deserve it either. Lest we ever forget that we don't deserve forgiveness from our, our father either. Number two, love and pray for him. 
Simple as it is, forgive them and love and pray for them. I didn't say hang out with them. Don't think you'll find that in scripture. I, I don't think you need to put yourself in harm's way over and over, but someone who's just offensive to you over and over. And they just hurt you as a family member. I don't think you need to put yourself in that situation. I do think you need to love and pray for them because the Bible tells us to. Think about it. The best way to kind of get over something or, or something that the genuine has offended you is to genuinely pray for them and pray for their soul. Luke 6 says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It's hard. Bless those who curse you. You don't want to. Pray for those who abuse you, who offend you. To those, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do also back to them. Church, let's not go. Let's not, let's not allow offense to take us to the places God never intended us to go. Proverbs 19.11 says, a man's wisdom gives patience. Listen to this. It is his glory. It is, is your glory. It is my glory. It is his glory to overlook the offense. Listen to me. Mature Christians don't get offended easily. And that might have sounded a bit offensive. They don't. They, they don't make others worry about offending them by an innocent comment or an unintentional behavior. But it, because it is to your glory, it is to my glory to overlook an offense. I just think you're much more likely to gain the respect by ignoring a hurtful comment and treating the offender kindly than angrily demanding an apology. Because remember, the scripture says love is patient. It says love is kind. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't, it's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongdoing. It just lets it go. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to, to do an incredible work in my heart, and your heart. And some of us, I'm even going to pray they do something kind of supernatural. Because you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Some of you, man, you just said, no, I need to hear it. I forgive them. It's easy for you, but some of you, it's not. You've held on to something from a brother or a sister or an, or an aunt for so, so long. And we do this because it has the ability to destroy your future. I would ask God to take that away because it could destroy your future. I ask him to take it away because it could destroy your influence. And that's both sides. I get so offended by something my, my family did. You ought to hear, you ought to hear the thing. I think Julie, some of Julie's family, I don't know if I should say this right now. I think some of Julie's family, literally, they would be confessed atheist. I think they think it's a complete joke what I do for a living. Like, I think they do. I think they think it's a complete joke what we do for a living. And so I, I can say, oh, really? I can get offended because it's a bit offensive to me. I love what I do. I don't know who else is going to share the gospel with them. They work in a situation. I don't know if anybody else is going to do it. So I can choose. I can choose to be offended or I can forgive them. I want to have influence there. Because not to be judgmental, but I look at all the other influence that they have in their lives and I don't think it's leading them to the kingdom. And ultimately, just destroy your relationships. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for we thank you for the example of Joseph and the story in which we can sit out here and we can see 
oh, he should be offended. He has every right to take offense. They all did him very, very wrong. I'm certain he sinned, but I don't read that. I read that he seemed to be the innocent party here. And so God, I just thank you for the example of that, which ultimately is merely a foreshadowing of you. The story of Joseph is a foreshadowing of of you, Jesus, who should have been offended. But you died and you gave your life for us. Didn't make a lot of sense to the world, but you gave it. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to, to ponder this question. I just thought of this last night. What, what if this? What if Jesus wouldn't have backed down? Understand he had that option. He's God. What if he wouldn't have backed down? After Peter fires the one dude's ear off, what if he says, boys, let's roll? Like, what if he decided I'm not backing down? Let me tell you what happens. You're not saved. I'm not saved. If he just digs his heels in and doesn't back down, we don't find salvation. So maybe you would say this morning this, when you know a little bit about God, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, or maybe it's your first Sunday in a church building. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Bible says he'll save you. So listen, it's, it's much more than that. That's how he saves you. You do nothing. You do nothing for your salvation. He does everything. I'm not a feeling guy, but I want you to hear, understand this. If you feel that stirring in your spirit right now, listen to me, that's God. That's God drawing you to himself. He's awakening your soul because he longs to adopt you as a son or daughter. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, but today, man, you want to do that, I want you to slip up your hand. I'm just gonna say a quick prayer for you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. I'm not gonna watch you out of this room. I just wanna pray for you. Yeah. As a family, let's pray this prayer all together. Pray this way, Father God, thank you for saving me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.